I just love that the neutrino is like um, Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible. Oh. It leaves the sun and then it gets to Earth and it's just like, <laughs> pulls, 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 pulls his face off like, it was me all yes. along. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you can't detect I, me. I don't <laughs> Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. Today we're going to do a Cosmic Queries grab bag edition. So, so Chuck, what, what does that even mean? Well, you know what it means. It means that anything that people want to know, we just throw it in a bag and they get a chance to do it. We used to call it galactic gumbo. Okay. <laughs> that don't <laughs> A gumbo. <laughs> I haven't had gumbo in a while, but last I had it, yeah, it did kind of have pretty much everything in it. Yeah, man. Uh, whatever might have been left in the fridge overnight. But okay, well, let's do it. You got him. You, yeah, Chuck, we got Chuck the questions Nice, right my co-host. Here. Yes. Thank you. So let's Bring jump on, right Chuck. into it. Uh, let's go to Chris Hampton, who uh, says, easy name here, Chuck. Hey, thanks, Chris. Ah! What the hell? <laughs> I should really read these before. <laughs> Before the show. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Anyway, uh, do you think future scientists, Neil, will look back at our particle colliders and think that they were somewhat barbaric, uh, i.e. smash, 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 which would also imply that they found a better way to observe particles um, and parts of atoms uh, while they're still intact? Wow. What, what, what do you think is I better? like that question. That's yeah, it's very, really that's nice, very, nice um, job, Chris. You know, peace-loving question. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, because atom smashers and particle right. accelerators, they're entirely designed to smash particles. Now, I don't think particles have feelings. So right. to be worried about them right. and to think that we're committing violence upon them, right. I don't, I'm not. I, so here's how to think about it. If yeah, you, rest, rest easy, you little particle pacifist. <laughs> particle pacifist. If you if you smashed a particle and then it was destroyed, right? And it would never then okay. But what when you smash a particle, what you're doing is you're putting energy into the system, empowering it to make other particles. Ooh. So so atom smashers, particle accelerators, they they're means of infusing a system with high levels of energy to see what pops out the other side. Because right. some particles exist only under those conditions. So what you'd have to say is, is there a way to observe those conditions without being barbaric to arrive at them? Yes, there is. You know what that would be? Go back to the Big Bang. Ah. Okay? There you go with your microscope or with your telescope. Go back to the Big Bang because those are the conditions we are trying to duplicate in the laboratory. The, the conditions of density and temperature and pressure. These are the conditions of the Big Bang. And this, this is what started the field of astroparticle physics. Astroparticle physics it deals with what happened in the early universe when the universe was small and very hot. And you couldn't have matter as we know it, you know, physical objects. Everything was a particle soup, seething back and forth between energy and matter. Mm. And this is what we're trying to create in the laboratory. So these right. laboratories are actually um, portals mm -hmm. back to the origin of time itself. Look at that. So basically, they're giant replicators is what they're doing. Exactly, exactly. Right. And really, he shouldn't have to be 
we're not going to one day find out that particles have feelings. I'm pretty right. sure about that one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, no need to have a uh, protest for particles. <laughs> you know? No justice, no peace. Yeah, we don't, we don't, it's going to be all right. <laughs> all right, keep it Very coming. Very cool. All right, let's keep going here. Uh-oh. Walquira, Walquira Fontanez. There you go. That's, I think that's it. <laughs> that's it, no matter what. That's, that's it. It is what it is now. That's, that's what, what it is, is now. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it should be, that's Whatever what it, it is. Be, that's what it is. Okay. Okay. So, uh, so uh, Walquira says, hello, my people. This is Walquira, Walquira from Georgia, originally from the Bronx, Neil. Bronx uh, in the house. There you go. If gravity pulls everything down, then how do clouds defy gravity? And how do clouds stay up? Oh, okay. I uh, love that. Yeah. I go. love that. So let me let me ask a different question that's exactly the same. If okay. gravity pulls everything down, why do helium balloons go up? Oh, there you go. So you can ask the question, what does a helium balloon weigh? Mm-hmm. Huh? What does a cloud weigh? Right. It does, does it have negative weight? Do you have to take a scale and put it upside down above it? And have it press right. upwards? Does it have negative right. weight? Right. Okay, that's the question. It's the same question, all right? Yeah, Things and that, it's weight relative to something. Uh, exactly, right? exactly. So, so we, as physical objects called humans, are so much denser than air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mean that as, uh, as in a physical sense. <laughs> yeah. Because you know the other the other part is true too. <laughs> the other kind of dense. The other kind oh, of dense so, is also true. I don't. When did dense become like you can't learn anything? Dense to me means you have a lot of information in there. There's a density of enlightenment. See, and that it lets you know who you are, okay? Because <laughs> you look at dense as a good thing, as in um, pack it uh, in a, a great deal of information compacted. Pack it in. Right. Pack it in. And right. where, whereas dense, as in thick headed. It's about getting it in there. Oh, so the, the, the barrier. Density, the density is the barrier. The oh. density of the barrier. You're a thick-headed dolt. Okay, That's, so it's a thick-skulled It's dolt. a thick skull. No, don't right. talk, don't implicate the whole head here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Just, it's, okay, I didn't, I, I swear to you, I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the density of the barrier of entry of information into your mind. All right. There you go. So, so so you can ask what, so we are so much denser, physically denser than air. We don't think about how much less we weigh in air. Right. Air has a buoyant force that makes you weigh a little bit less, but we don't Mm. care about it. We don't even think about it. How about water? Okay. We are... Almost the same density as water. Mm-hmm. So some people float. Right. And those who sink, they don't sink very fast. Right. So how much do you weigh in water? Well, if you're floating, do you weigh zero? So what's happening here is everything has weight unless you're floating in something. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the helium balloon is, balloon is lighter than air. If you started evacuating all the air of the Earth, then all the helium balloons, however many are still up there, the Chinese balloon, whatever, 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 whatever balloon is up there, it will come to Earth. And then you can stick a scale under it and figure out how much it actually weighs with right. no buoyant force assisting it. There you go. Now you 
filter, you, now you pour air back into our atmosphere and things lighter than air will float above it, but that doesn't mean they're weightless. Look at that. Yeah. That's awesome. And by the way, there's a lot of videos on social media right now circulating that speak to this questioning gravity because of things that float and uh, the fact that there are things that are uh, on parts of the earth that they say are upside down. So it's keeping you upside down, but yet at the same time, this same so-called supposed force is allowing these other things to float around. So Okay, so, so this is a case of a person who thinks they know about enough about a subject to believe they're right. Mm-hmm. but they don't know enough about the subject to know that they're wrong. There you go. Look at that. Damn. Yes. <laughs> oh. no, so here's the in, the, in all the lands down under, you know, that's because like civilization and to the dominant forces of cultures have all been like in the Northern Hemisphere, right? Right. So, so we have Northern Hemisphere bias on Southern Hemisphere resonance. And we say that they're upside down. And even, right. even any of us, if we saw a map with South up, right. we'd say that's upside down. And that's, right. look how deep that bias is. Because space yeah. don't give a shit. Space, and that's what I was about to say. In, in, the, in the blackness of space, when you're floating in a void, right, is there really any up or down? Right, no, it's no up or down. Correct. Right. It, 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 correct. Uh, and so, well, you can point to places that locally will have an up or down where they are. Okay. But where you are, no. So up or down right. is relative. Completely. There you go. It's relative to where the center of gravity is of your closest object. So anyhow, all I'm saying is, if you're floating, it's because there's a buoyant force. That's all. Right. And I did. I once did this calculation for a 150 pound person. Uh, what would that be in in kilos? That would be you know something like 70, 75 kilos. Okay. Okay. It's 2.2. 2.2 pounds per right, kilo. Pounds. All right. So uh, that person, you know, there's a few. I mean. It's it's a it's a measurable amount, but no one cares. You right. know, is it a hundred grams less because of the buoyant force of air? Like I said, we don't typically think about that because it doesn't really matter to us. That's all. Okay. All right. There you go. Next Fantastic. one. Fantastic. Let's move on to Michael Ranger. Cool name, Michael Ranger. Uh, is particle a placeholder word for things that are so small? We don't know what they are yet. Ooh, is a is particle a placeholder? Yes, but only for one particle. Aha. Uh-huh. The electron. Aha. Uh-huh. Every other particle, well, every other particle we play with in the, in the, in the laboratory, mm-hmm. uh, every other particle that we control and play with has a measured size. Interesting. We can give the dimensions of it. An electron, we have never measured how big an electron is. And as far as we know, it's infinitesimally small. This is a profound point of mystery in particle physics. I we don't dwell on it. Beca- we, we don't dwell on it because we can still invoke it. We, we still make current in electricity. We can still do all manner of things with an electron, this thing we call an electron. But it is a spot in space-time that we have never measured. All, we measure its charge. That's it. And its oh. mass. We can measure its mass, but what the... Who, have we ever right. seen it? Mass, no. mass is not size. It's right. not size. We've never mass seen it. Mass is not size. Wow. Yeah. I just learned something. I did not know this. You didn't know that about electrons. I fact, did not know this about I, electrons. I have an entire video course with the great courses. Uh, so I gave a series of lectures. What, what, what I do in each lecture is I take you to the frontier of our ignorance. 
And then I just drop you there. And I say, here's. Nice. <laughs> Peer out, and your guess is as good as mine, okay? I like What's it. going on out there? So I, like it. Uh, I, I take the viewer to the edge of the unknown in astronomy and physics. Uh, it's, wow. it's in um, the Great Courses series. You check it out oh, if you're interested. Yeah. In there, I talk about the fact that we have no idea how big an electron is. That is fascinating. I mean, wow. Now, neutrinos so, are pretty elusive as well, and we do manipulate them. And I, haven't, I don't know the latest on those and what size we have ascribed them. Maybe they're equally as intractable in our ability to measure their dimensions. But we do know the size of protons, and they're right. composed of quarks, three right. quarks, protons and neutrons. And, and how big is a quark? I, I don't know what our latest thinking is on that. But the fun one is electrons, because we've all heard of electrons. We've, right. we've, we all know what they we are. All know like what they they're, are. They're, they're, they're the satellites of, of the nuclei. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, right. The nucleus. Well, yeah, they, yeah, they quote orbit the nucleus. Right. And but we don't want to use the word orbit because that applies to planets. Um, and so we we invented a new word, orbital. So they so, they have okay. orbitals, right? Just, orbitals. just to put a little distance between it and astronomy. And, and, yeah. Wow, look yeah. at that. Dude, what a great little question you had there, Michael Ranger. Thanks for that. Yeah. Man. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, here we go. Uh this is Michelle Stargirl. Watch out. Watch out now. It's Michelle Stargirl. Stargirl. That's her name. That's that's the handle. What she wrote. That's, the, that's, that's what she wrote. That's what she wrote. That's the now, handle. I'm not, okay. not going to judge her because okay. that's what she wrote. Mm -hmm. uh, she goes, greetings. This is Michelle from NYC. Now that the James Webb Space Telescope has seen mature galaxies not long after the Big Bang that under current knowledge shouldn't exist, could these galaxies possibly be a window into another universe? Ooh, I like that. Oh, what I a lovely conjecture. Like that. Thank you, Stargirl. Stargirl. Uh, so, um, you know, when I was a kid, one of my favorite cartoons was Astro Boy. Oh, God. Do you remember Astro Boy? You know Boy? they brought ba Astro Boy back, man? They did. I didn't know that. Yeah. Astro Boy bombs away yeah, on yeah. a mission today. Rocket high to the sky. <laughs> okay, anyway. <laughs> so let's back up. So after the Big Bang, right. where there was this particles matter soup, uh, everything was too hot to make stars. And so, but then there's a point where things cooled so that the universe became, because the universe was glowing back then. It cooled and became transparent, but it still was not in a, ready to make stars. So we, it would have to wait. I, I, I forgot how long, but long enough so that we have a word for this era, and it's called the Dark Ages, where you know there's no, there's no stars, no galaxies. Yeah, right. James Webb Space Telescope is exquisitely tuned to observe the birth of galaxies. So we turn on the telescope, look back to this era, and we find red-blooded galaxies doing the backstroke in the Dark Ages. Wow. So that freaks us all out, because it's like, okay, who ordered that? Right. And nobody ordered that, okay? So either our entire understanding right. of the Big Bang and expansion and cooling of the universe is wrong, right. or these are varieties of galaxies that we haven't seen before. And we're mistakenly putting them in a place where an ordinary galaxy would have been with those same properties. But could there be a different kind of galaxy with those same properties that is otherwise unfamiliar to us? Mm -hmm. This happens all the time, by the way. So, so you, you, 
you say, oh, I, I know who you are because you're standing there and you're doing X, Y, Z. Because I'm using information that I think should describe fully who you are. Turns right. out you're not that. You're something completely different. So all my understanding of your look, of you being there is, is wrong. It's completely wrong. Right. So, so uh, if, if you're a betting person, I would not bet against the Big Bang on this Exactly. One. I see what you're saying. So it's, it's, it's kind of basically like uh, when you're looking back, because you're looking back in time, but you're looking back in time through different wavelengths. Is correct. What yeah, correct. And, and, right. and we have our catalogs of everything that we understand. Right. And we're looking to a place we've never looked before in wavelengths that we never received from that right. part of the universe. And we see objects, hey, these look like our galaxies that don't belong there. Right. Maybe they're not our galaxies. Maybe they're not our galaxies. Okay, maybe there's nothing in this catalog that we have created of right. everything nearby to us. Right, right. Maybe there's a so, whole new early universe catalog completely that we have different. Yeah. yeah, it's like looking at an ultrasound and uh, you, you see a baby, but the baby is like watching TV and smoking a cigar, <laughs> right? You know, you're like, hey, something's wrong with oh, this. Something does Something's work. up. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a baby in there, you know? It's Right, like, yes. It, so I don't yeah. know what the hell that would be, but if you... <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's so great. All right. All well, right, we got to... Uh, let's close this out. Uh, this first segment, and when we come okay. back, more Cosmic Queries grab bag when Star Talk returns. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Hey, I'm Roy Hill Percival, and I support StarTalk on Patreon. Bringing the universe down to Earth, this is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. We're back, Cosmic Queries. Grab bag. 
These are fun. I like grab bags. Chuck? Yeah, I, exactly. I got Chuck nice with me. Oh, Chuck, I have something to add to that question, how much does a cloud weigh? Okay. I, I want to add something to that. So right. generally, if you look up whales in, in, you know, in, a, in a book or on a wiki page, it'll right. say how much they weigh. Right. right? Okay. And there's a lot. They're the heaviest animals that ever existed. Mm-hmm. But is it really fair to say how much they weigh? Because you know what you're doing? You're taking them out of the water right. and putting them on land right. and measuring them on dry land immersed in air. You big blubbery fat butt. <laughs> <laughs> Tell that to its face. Exactly. <laughs> so the point is, the whale doesn't live on land. Right. It lives in the water. So what matters here is not the air buoyancy it gets, which would right. be irrelevant as it is for us. What matters is the water buoyancy. Right. So in water, a whale weighs zero. Okay? It can move up and down freely the way a perfectly neutrally buoyant balloon could move up and down freely in our air. So to a whale, a whale weighs nothing. Wow. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Because in, in the medium, it weighs and, nothing. Right. There you go. Yeah. It is. That's very cool. Okay. All right. Here we go. Let's keep moving on keep with... Keep moving. Keep on moving. We're going to keep moving with... This is Rebecca. I'm going to say Fuchs. Okay. Yeah. Spelled could be a, a bunch of different things, but okay. I'm going to go with Fuchs. Fine. All right. Uh, she says... <laughs> Hello, Dr. Tyson, Lord Nice. Rebecca from Connecticut here. Uh, could you please explain? In the simplest terms possible, please, why do we think that space and time are emergent and not fundamental? Oh. I don't know what that means, Neil. Oh, oh. Oh, I don't even know what she means by that. Oh. Um, so there's been some murmurs about it being the consequence. Well, so I, I can tell you the little bit that I know, okay? Okay. Actually, I think that question might have come in when we had Stefan Alexander here, who was a sort of cosmologist, particle physicist dude. And maybe he would have been better equipped to answer that. But let me tell you what I just learned in a conversation with Brian Green, who's right up the street from us in uh, Columbia oh, yeah. University. Our buddy Brian. But our buddy Brian, author of the best-selling book, the, the Elegant Universe, and he followed it up with The Fabric of the Cosmos. Here's what he told me, and I, this blew my mind, all right? So, you got to like, hang with me for this. Okay. So, quantum physics tells us that there's no such thing as empty space. Okay. That in empty space, where you would classically say there's zero energy because there's nothing there, mm -hmm. quantum physics says, uh-uh-uh. There's always a chance of there being some energy everywhere. Mm. Okay? okay? And and this is called the vacuum energy of the universe. This is what this is called. Okay. So, how is this manifested? So, if you run through the quantum physics equations, you get particles out of that energy popping into existence, matter antimatter particle pairs that right. then rejoin and make energy again, okay? So energy is coming and going with particles, and it's a seething soup within the vacuum of space, okay? Gotcha. These are called virtual particles. So no one denies that they're there, even though we've never measured them. There's a very natural prediction of quantum physics, 
and what quantum physics, everything else quantum physics had predicted, has turned out to be correct. Right. So we're, we're sticking with this explanation. Now, it turns out, these particle pairs, since they were created together, know about each other. Ah. They know about each other in a quantum entanglement sort of way. Okay. Okay? Well, if they know about each other because they're quantum entangled, and quantum entanglement means if something happens to one particle over here, the other one knows about it instantly. Instantly, And the only right. way we can think about that is if there's some kind of wormhole between the two of them where it doesn't have to then travel through the physicality of space. Some kind of wormhole, because then you can get to two places instantly without, quote, violating the, the speed of light rule. So here's what he told me, that there's some emergent thinking that suggests that the very fabric of space-time is the network of these wormholes created by the seething soup of virtual particles. Mm -hmm. So that those wormholes are themselves the fabric of the universe. They are weaving together the fabric of the universe. Wow. And that blew my mind. So, because we, we speak of the fabric as distorting, and it's sort of metaphor, right? And, you know, but is it literal? Is it a right. literal thing that right. could be true? So, so there's that. Okay, so now about time. What I do know is that we measure time by things that repeat. Okay? Right. If, cycles. If cycle, right. If nothing repeats, you could maybe know what happened before something or after something, but you wouldn't be able to measure the time between it. So I don't know about time as being emergent relative to what I just learned from Brian Greene that the very fabric of space-time might itself be emergent and a gotcha. property of the vacuum. So I lost a few nights of sleep on that one. Yeah, I don't blame you. Jeez, uh, I'm, I'm losing, like, just brain cells listening to it. <laughs> that is freaking Okay, that's trippy. the best I could do in this situation. Yeah. So, hey, Rebecca. And so, Chuck, this word emergence of yeah. course, has its own meaning in biology, in biological circles, in evolution, right? Absolutely. Because you could look at a bird, like, pecking away on the ground, right? and you can study every atom and molecule of that bird, and you probably would not know that a group of birds will flock together by analyzing a single bird. Right. So that flocking is sort of an emergent feature of a group of birds that you would right. never learn by studying one bird. We don't, as far as we can tell, you wouldn't. Learn it. Right. So, so emergent property, maybe consciousness is emergent. Exactly. Which they were worried right. about AI. You keep programming up AI, right. bada bing. If, if you get enough data points coming together with enough computing power, then all of a sudden, it's not that you made it intelligent it enough emerged. to become sentient. It just becomes that yeah, because of those things. Way. And right. I just yeah. saw the, the preview again for that of movie what? Megan. Oh my God, I love that movie. Oh no, I don't. I can't see the movie after that preview. That's a little freak. Oh God, I love that forever. movie so much. So, so that's an, an emergence. But here in in the universe, the emergent would be something that was not there from the beginning. Right. right. Just show up later because something else happened. So, so this is this is how we're using the term in physics, which is a bit different from how it's been commonly used in biology. That's all. Cool.
Cool, man. Yeah. yeah, all right. Well, Rebecca, what a great question. Yeah, Look thank at you. you. Thank you. That was very cool. All right, let's go on to Catherine B here. And Catherine B says, good day, all. My name is Catherine, and I'm from a small, insignificant town near Ottawa, Canada. Don't, don't sell yourself short. There, I know, Kat. right? Let, let us be the judge of what yeah, we can tell you. We can tell you you don't matter. You don't have to lead with that. Let, let other people tell you. Let other people put you down. That's what that's how you know you're Canada and not American. <laughs> right? Because yeah, we, we so other people around the world gotta put us down. We're like, we're number one. All right. She says, I have a question that I have not been able to find the answer to, and I know you can answer it, Neil, or at least you'll have a theory about it. If time speeds as we leave Earth's gravity and slows with velocity, how will astronauts traveling to Mars be affected once they leave Earth's gravity? Does it no longer slow so they will only be impacted by the speeding up of time because of their velocity? If that's so, how long will a three-year Earth journey be for them? I, I hope love, I'm making sense yeah, right completely, now. Completely, completely. So, there you go. so this is a co combination of a bunch of things. We know that the closer you get to a source of gravity, the slower time ticks for you. And right. the farther away, the faster it ticks. The right. faster you move, the slower time ticks for you. Right. And, and this, okay, sorry. So, if you are not only moving farther away from Earth's gravity, right, which would speed up time, but now you are traveling fast, that would slow down time. You got to run the equations and see which equations which, win. Right, which is that. greater. Which and, is a greater pull. Which is a greater, and I, have, I can't do that in my head. I could do that on paper, I can do it. But here's one I did do already, and that's for GPS satellites. So okay. GPS satellites orbit the Earth at very high speeds. So relative to us, their time is slowing down, okay? If you only factor in their high speeds. But they're also much farther away from Earth's surface than we are. Right. So their time is speeding up. And the speed-up time is about twice what the slowdown time is. Mm -hmm. So the speeding up wins, Gotcha. Against the, the the speeding up of the time wins against the slowing down of the time for its orbital speed, which means the GPS satellites do not keep the same time we do, and they have to be pre-corrected before you get the time signal from your phone company. Wow. Yeah. So these factors are all in work working in either conjunction or against one well, another against at all times. At all times. At, at all, all times. And it's cumulative. It's cumulative. So, okay. So if you're gonna if you're on a mission for three, by the way, it's very tiny. It's cumulative but tiny. So okay. you want to know how much younger or older is your twin astronaut sibling who went to Mars? It would be fractions of a second. Gotcha. Yeah. There you go. Just off the top of my head. Wow. It's still fascinating. Because it's not a perception of time that Correct. is speeding up it is the or slowing down. Speed it is time. actual time itself. Yes, timekeeping devices, your heartbeat, your brain thoughts, everything. Everything. Slow down. Uh, mm -hmm. So crazy. All right. Hey, Catherine B., thanks for that. That's very cool. Look forward to some more uh, information forthcoming mm -hmm. about your trip to Mars, Catherine, because I know that's why you asked. Oh, I actually got a plan. I know. You like, got a plan. I'm from nowhere, Ottawa, but I'm going to Mars. <laughs>
So how about that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, here we go. Let's uh, move on to... Okay, man, you just messing with me. This is Keti Kukunasvili. Kukunasvili. Mm-hmm. Don't pretend like you knew what that... <laughs> Oops. That's a good act there. Jeff. Yeah. Okay. Kathy Kukunasvili. Yeah. Okay. All right. That could that sounds like it could be it. Kukunasvili. All right. Okay. Go anyway. ahead. Hey Neil. Hey Chuck. I'm new to Patreon, but a long-standing Welcome. fan Welcome. of Star Talk. I have a very basic question. Why is string theory so unprovable? And if so, why are we still trying to prove it? You know, every time I see Brian Green, I slap him upside the head and say, Brian, why haven't you string theorists solved this problem yet? And his answer is, well, it's a very hard problem. Well, so was general relativity, and Einstein did it all by himself, and he took 10 years, which was a long time for an Einstein brain, but he solved it. And here all y'all, that's the plural of y'all. Right. It's all y'all. All y'all. Okay, here's all y'all string theorists. There's dozens of them. Probably not much more than that, but I would say dozens of them in the world. They're working on it for 40 years. And so I why don't you all so I said, why don't you just confess to yourselves you are collectively too stupid to figure it out? Oh, or I said this to his face. Or that the oh, or or that it's not the problem that you should be solving, and the actual solution is something else that nobody's thought of yet. Ooh. Yeah, I was in his face. Oh my goodness. Yo, that's that's hardcore, bro. It that, was. Now I'm bigger than him, so I knew I could. <laughs> I was I, gonna say, <laughs> you kind of you kind of called into question the you know the veracity of his entire life's work. <laughs> that's a little rough, man. That's a little rough. It's it's a little rough. Uh, yeah, I, I did it to be, of course, purposefully antagonistic. Of course, you're joking, but right. it was. Um, how long are you going to say the problem is just hard, rather than we are barking up the wrong tree? Ooh. So that's so that's kind of how I think about it. Plus, it assumes that there can be one coherent theoretical understanding of all phenomena in the universe. It assumes that. Right. And you're putting your philosophical mission statement on the universe that you're investigating. And the history of that exercise has never proven to be successful. I'll give an example. Uh, Copernicus says, you know, I think the sun is in the middle of the universe and not Earth. And so let me create a, 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 a sun-centered universe. So he does it. And he puts the sun in the middle and Mercury, the orbits of Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. The asteroid belt wasn't discovered yet. Uh, but uh, on out. It does this. Okay. Do you realize it was still wrong? Because he assumed... That the universe is, per- God made the universe, the universe is perfect God- because God is perfect. So clearly God made orbits that are perfect circles because a circle is a perfect shape. circles, right. So that was a theoretical expectation placed upon his ideas about what the uni- how the universe is put together. Wow. And it was just wrong. The, 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 the orbits are squashed circles. Right. And they're all squashed differently. And the most squashed circle among objects known as planets or formerly known as planets is Pluto. Pluto. Pluto's orbit is so squashed, it crosses the orbit of Neptune. Right. This is hardly the handiwork of someone who really cares about perfect circles. All right? So 
So I just like to take a step back and stay open to the possibility that there's a whole other idea that could supplant everything they're doing that wouldn't take 30 people 40 years to try to figure it out because that's a lot of brain power going in there. In all fairness to them, they made certain progress with their string theory in interpreting, using it to interpret things that we now understand more deeply. Okay, so mm -hmm. that works. And by the way, uh, are, how close are we to proving it experimentally? Some predictions are cannot are forever in the future will never ex no. Okay, no matter what, but yeah. that some of it is inter interdimensional. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to go there too. I'm gonna, you're holding your chin like you're you're contemplating mm. interdimensional. Yeah, the higher yeah. dimension. I got this one. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, the point is, you can have a hypothesis that is untestable in its right. core, but if the hypothesis is true, some other things might be true that gotcha. you can then test. All right. So you can test the edges of it, all right? And that can still make progress on the thing that you're waiting to test if you can't do it today. I got you. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Uh, but, and what you're saying is they're not even close to that. <laughs> Damn. That's rough, man. Yeah, so Einstein said, so here's what Einstein said. Einstein said um, he has something called the equivalence principle, deep and profound statement that, that the mass that gravity sees when it pulls on you is identically equal to the mass that a force sees when it accelerates it through space. Ooh. Okay, these are these two masses. There's no reason in heaven and earth why these two masses have to be the same. Right. But they okay. sort of seem to be the same. And Einstein said, let us declare them to be the same. And if they are the same, here's something that would be true. And what is that? If I'm in an elevator and you cut the cable mm -hmm. and I let go of a ball, right? I will fall, the elevator's falling, the ball is falling, and it'll stay, stay. stationary in front of my face. Right. Okay. It'll be falling at the same rate. And then also Einstein will have to uh, face murder charges. <laughs> at uh, the end of the... <laughs> at the end of that experiment. <laughs> It's only if he cut the cable. Yeah, oh, that's true. <laughs> He's probably too smart to cut the cables himself, to be honest, right? <laughs> okay, so the, the point there is I am in free fall, okay? Right. Fine. But if I had, so I'm zero G. But if I'm standing on Earth, watch this. I'm standing on Earth, and I let go of the ball, it falls. I'm in one G. Okay, so now watch. Now I have rockets on the back of your uh, ship and I accelerate you through the universe at 1G. And you holding a ball, you let go of the ball, it'll fall down to the ground. You cannot distinguish whether you were in a rocket accelerating through empty space or standing right. on a planet under that same 1G force. That is such a, like, elegant little thought experiment. Elegant it's, and profound. And you could do really these experiments. It's a thought experiment. You could do the experiment. You can actually okay. do it. Right, yeah. on, on the edges. On of a it. train, or I think okay. that's what they did, though. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. Okay, got to take another break. Uh, when we come back, more Cosmic Queries, the grab bag edition.
We're back. Star Talk Cosmic Queries. Grab bag edition. So, Chuck, why do why we stop calling it Galactic Gumbo? Because that was fun. I think maybe uh, people got tired of me um, imitating... Um, like Paul Prudhomme? Yeah, Paul Prudhomme. <laughs> Galactic Gumbo. But is he the one that spoke like that? I I don't know if it was him. I just know that that guy was on PBS and he was amazing. Because (laughs) he'd be like, now, 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 here we're going to do it. We're going to bring that on there and put that. Whoever that guy was, that's the guy. Okay. And we're on the cool. We're going to add some cayenne pepper. (laughs) 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 It was amazing, that dude. He was awesome. (laughs) So, all right. So, we got some more questions. Bring it on. All right, here we go. Here, this is Captain James Riley. Okay. And Captain Riley says, if a photon is a particle. Which it is. Can't, can't it just sit still? Why does it always have to be moving at the speed of light? Oh. Wow, look at that. Okay, so here's what we have concluded. And this mm-hmm. might sound like a cop-out answer. Okay. okay. Objects that have mass right. can never attain the speed of light. Oh. And objects that do not have mass right. only exist at the speed of light. That is how that is the hand we're dealt in this universe. Wow. So it's a massless particle that ceases to exist when it stops traveling at the speed of light. Well, it can't not. So it can't if, not. Right, right, yeah, right. So what will happen is so it has if, to hit something. If, exactly. So if it's gonna, if that, if the energy of that particle is gonna become matter, right, then the matter has to be moving slower than the speed of light. But the energy wow. budget remains the same. We're fine in right, the energy right. budget. Exactly, because you got a little exchange going on. There. Exchange going on. Wow. The MC squared. Yeah. So I, I'm not, I'm not answering it with a why. I'm just declaring that that is the universe we live in now. Now, you want to hear something profound, I think, okay? This, this is profound. Um, you may know that time slows down as you go faster and faster and stops at the speed of light. Exactly. Okay? Okay. Well, neutrinos, there was something called the solar neutrino problem where everything we understood about thermonuclear fusion in the core of the sun told us how many neutrinos it should be making. We build detectors on Earth, and we were detecting only a fraction of the predicted neutrinos. Okay. And this, was, this went on for decades. And people say, maybe we don't understand fusion. But it worked out. We're getting the energy budget for the sun. That seemed to work. Maybe there's something wrong with the detector. No, we got the detector thing. So what's going on? Okay. Here's what we found. Well, plus, we didn't quite know how fast do neutrinos move. Could they be moving the speed of light? Okay, we don't know. Here's what we found. There's more than one species of neutrino. Oh. And the neutrinos emitted by the sun change species en route to Earth. Wow. So the detectors we built were detected to find only the kind of neutrinos that the sun made not the kind of neutrinos that ended up landing and arriving here on Earth. Mm. It'd be as though I tossed you a basketball. Right. And you received a football. Look at that. But you set up detectors only for basketballs. Right. Okay, so now watch. Wait, wait. So, basically, it decays into another species. Okay? Gotcha. Okay. Wait a minute. 
if it knows to do that after a certain amount of time, then it can't be traveling at the speed of light. Because if it was at the speed of light, it would have no concept of time and would not know when to change. When to transition. Exactly. It could not know because traveling at the speed of light means that it can only exist as it is as it while it's is. traveling at the speed of light. Correct. Because there's no time clock to tell right. it to There's do no time to else. tell it what to do. Correct. Yeah. So it's in, like, oh, in, in one swell foop, we had, we <laughs> learned... That the, the, we're just, we're looking for the wrong neutrino, and nu the neutrino does not travel at the speed of light. It travels very close to close, it. close, close to but it. not the same. But not close the same. That is fascinating. Yes, this is science, dude. This is crazy, fun, interesting. It phenomenon. really is. Yeah, I just love that the neutrino is like. Um, Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible. Oh. It leaves the sun and then it gets to Earth and it's just like <laughs> pulls, it pulls its face off like it was me all along. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you can't detect I me. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you got another question. All right. Wow, that was really good stuff. Thank oh, by you, the way, Captain so, so, James so when when neutrinos change species, go neutrino oscillations. We call them. Neutrino oscillations. Yeah. That is so cool. But it will only know to oscillate from one species to another if right. there's an internal clock. Mm. And it can well, only have just... an internal clock if it's going slower than the speed of light. It's that simple. All right, here we go. This is um, Walker Fulland. And Walker says, gentlemen, this is Walker from West Branch, Michigan. I don't know why I think he sounds like that. But... <laughs> <laughs> He goes, if two objects travel parallel on a sphere, three-dimensional sphere, they will eventually converge yes. at a point. Yes. If we extrapolate that the fourth dimension, does that roughly explain behavior of gravity in our universe? So if we extrapolate that to the fourth dimension, does that roughly explain the behavior of gravity in our universe? Yeah, so for us, the fourth dimension is time. And right. so I'm not quite getting where that would land. But let me just remind people that parallel, we learned in grade school, perhaps, certainly by middle school, that parallel lines, parallel lines never intersect. No, no, that's nope, only that's right. if the space in which they're embedded is completely flat. Right. But if it's like curved, like on a right. surface... Parallel lines, and a line is very rigidly defined as uh, if you cut through that line, that cut will go through the center of your sphere, okay? Mm -hmm. That assures you that that's a proper line, a geodesic, it's called, or great mm -hmm. circle route if you're taking an airplane. Okay, so two lines that are parallel will ultimately intersect in two places on a sphere, Okay. Which is odd, not odd, which is interesting because we refer colloquially to lines of latitude as parallels. Lines of latitude do not intersect. And we're, we're borrowing the concept of non-intersecting lines being parallel and applying it to the, the surface of the earth and calling latitude lines parallel. Mm. But they're not parallel. Because they're not authentic lines. There's only one authentic latitude line in the world. And what line is that? The equator. The equator. 
Because right. even cut through the equator, cut through that the goes equator, through the center, goes of, the to the center of the Earth. All the other cuts do not go through the center. They're not legitimate lines. And that's why airplanes don't go along uh, right. latitude lines. Because it's not the shortest distance between two points. Wow. Yeah, you ever see the air, airplane trajectories? It's always, right. well, why are you looping up like that? Why right. don't you just go along this straight line here on your Mercator map, which completely distorts, you know, what you might think is, uh, is, the, is, is the, how you got to get from one place to another. Wow, look at that. Yeah, yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, so, but I, did I, I don't think I answered the question. What, what was the question? Well, because he's <laughs> saying that we will, if we oh, were to yeah. extrapolate the, that out to the fourth dimension, which is time, would that explain gravity in our universe? Yeah, I don't, I don't feel that. I don't feel, what I do know is that as you go back in time, the universe was smaller. Mm -hmm. So if you take, imagine our universe as the surface of a sphere that is expanding. We're all just on a surface, okay? So I lost right. a dimension just for the sake of this explanation. Right. So if you go back in time, the universe was smaller. And then smaller right. and smaller. So you can follow a time arc backwards, and all time arcs will meet at the center of the balloon. Okay. So if you ask on the surface of a balloon, where is the center? I say it is nowhere on this balloon. The center of our universe exists in time right. 14 billion years ago. Right. Let's find that center. And now you go back in time as the balloon shrinks, and there it is, infinitesimally small. That is the center of everything. That is the center of the universe. Wow, that's, that's, that's fascinating. So time has a center in a way. Right. Exactly. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Dude, yeah. yeah. That, that's all the time. That was a mind blowing. I'm exhausted. Was, oh man, Damn. these people came. They came with it today, they came boy. Out of the bushes for that one. Yeah, it really did. Yeah. It was good stuff. Yeah. All right. Thanks everyone for those questions. Great to have a new Patreon member coming in on the yeah. Q and A. All right. That's all the time we have. Uh, Chuck, always great to have you there. This has been Star Talk Cosmic Queries, the grab bag edition. I am Neil deGrasse Tyson. As always, wishing you. Keep looking up.